Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. It's an exciting day always to be in the presence of the Lord. And we're in Acts chapter 6 where we left off last time. The title of the message is Full of Power. Full of Power. We're going to look at Acts chapter 6 and verses 8 through 15. And we're going to learn about a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen was a man full of God's power. Now, before we look at his life, I, I want to just point out a couple of things, a couple of observations that I think are important for us to understand as we look at the book of Acts. The first observation is this. Acts 6 marks the beginning of a transition in the book of Acts. Prior to this point, the gospel has pretty much centered around Jerusalem and all Judea. Now it is going to spread beyond that area into Samaria, and especially it's going to move north. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses, martus. We get our word martyr from it. You'll be so fired up about Jesus, so full of the Spirit, that you'll be willing to tell anyone, anywhere, anytime about Jesus because you understand what, what matters most is where they spend eternity. If people don't receive Jesus as their Savior, they're going to go to an eternal hell. Do you have that vision? Do you have that understanding? If somebody doesn't receive Christ as their Savior, they will spend eternity in hell. This is why it's so important to share the gospel everywhere we go. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit, because some Christians are way too timid. And the eternal destiny and fate of people demands from us an urgency. telling you Easter is a is a give me invite people to Easter if you if you if you don't feel comfortable leading them to Christ pray that you get filled with the Holy Spirit to the point you are but in the meantime invite them to church right tell everyone about it you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea so this is phase one of the Great Commission and Samaria that's that's a second section in the book of Acts and to the ends of the earth that's the third section you could actually outline the book of Acts based on that verse prior to this point the the Apostles and the church have enjoyed outside of the Jewish leadership they've enjoyed the favor of the people And the church has not only grown, but Acts chapter 5 and verse 13 says they were highly regarded by the people. But now for the first time, that's all going to shift. And there's going to be an increase in persecution when you get to Acts chapter 8, which really comes just right as what we're looking at in Acts 6. It's just all happening all at once. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, and that opens up that area to the gospel. 
Number two, a second observation is this. Prior to this point, the advance of the gospel has centered around Peter. Peter's the one who preaches on the day of Pentecost. Peter and John are the ones who who heal the paralytic at the gate beautiful. Peter's the one in Acts 5. His shadow falls on people and they're healed. Everything primarily centers on Peter. But now the gospel advances through Stephen, through Philip, and through the Apostle Paul. What's interesting is Stephen and Philip are not apostles. They're not disciples. Paul will will be an apostle. But what it tells us is that God wants to use every single person. God wants to use you. Signs and wonders, miracles, sharing Christ with power, having the Holy Spirit upon your life in an incredible way. It's for everybody, not just for the apostles, not just for preachers. Here's Stephen, he is a ordinary person who does extraordinary things because the hand of God is on him. And God wants to remind every single one of us as we watch Stephen and then as we watch Philip go to Samaria and we see the amazing things that God uses him to do, God wants to use you. That's the message of Acts. Are you willing to be used? To whom is God sending you? Who are you talking to about Christ? Who are you praying into the kingdom? Who have you prayed for? Like, like the girl in the restaurant who laid hands on the waitress and saw her healed in Jesus' name. God wants to do that through everybody. So as we look at Stephen, we're reminded that what we're talking about here is not for a select few, it's for absolutely everybody. And we meet Stephen, and as we do, I wanna center our thoughts on three areas. First of all, I want you to see a supernatural character. What a person does in life is by and large determined by who they are. And who you are is really the summation of your character. What you do, what you think, what you are when nobody is looking is really who you are. Here's a man who has tremendous character, incredible character, and I want you to notice five components of his character, Acts chapter six, verse three. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, the responsibility of caring for the widows in the church. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. Now, as we look at this, I want to give you five characteristics. Number one, he is full of wisdom. Acts 6.3, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we looked at this last time, but I want to remind you because I think this is one of the the aspects of the empowerment of the Spirit that often Pentecostal people don't think about. But it is very valuable. The infilling of the Holy Spirit not only gives you a boldness to witness and a power to do signs and wonders, but it gives you supernatural wisdom. And we looked last time, I found it just so interesting. We, the first mention of somebody being filled with the Spirit in the Bible happens in the book of Exodus, and it involves a young man by the name of Bezalel. 
Look at it in Exodus 35, 31. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God. And what's the result? Giving him great wisdom. So here is, here's Bezalel and, and rabbinic traditions, it's not in the Bible, but rabbinic tradition is, he is the grandson, we know this in the Bible in Chronicles, he's the grandson of Hur, and Hur was a contemporary of Aaron and Moses, and when Aaron made the golden calf, rabbinic tradition says Hur confronted him and told him he was wrong, and because of that, God set his hand on Bezalel. Bezalel was, according to rabbinic tradition, 13 years old. He's filled with the Spirit of God, giving him wisdom, giving him ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He literally is the one who drives the design and the manufacture of everything that goes into the tabernacle. All the gold work all of the embroidery, all of the things that are a part of casting silver and gold and bronze, all of that God infuses him with wisdom. Listen, when a person's full of the Holy Spirit, you go from ordinary to extraordinary as he touches you. Acts 6.3, choose seven men from among you who are full of the spirit and wisdom, the full of. It's the idea of dominated by, controlled by, directed by, governed by. Here's Stephen, he's a man who is dominated by wisdom. He thinks wise thoughts. He's governed by wisdom. He is operating in the, what is wisdom? The practical application of godly principles to life. The ability to know how to behave, how to do, in, his, in Bezalel's case, how to work gold, how to work silver, how to do things. It's amazing. God gave Stephen divine wisdom that could solve problems that could have divided the church but didn't because of his wisdom. Number two. He was full of faith. I love this. Look at it, Acts 6, 5. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. Again, dominated by faith. Governed by faith. Directed by faith. You know, here's the thing. A lot of people, a lot of followers of Christ have faith, they're just not full of faith. And there's a big difference. On the scale of faith, with doubt being over here and faith being over here, they're like somewhere in between, depending on the circumstance and the situation. Like some people, they're like the men in, in Mark chapter 9, they find themselves saying over and over again, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so they find their, their faith mixed with doubt depending again on what they're confronting. So sometimes it's 50-50, sometimes it's 60-40, sometimes it's 70-30, sometimes it's 80-20. It's like, oh yeah, that's easy, I can believe God for that. Not sure I can believe God for that. Stephen wasn't like that. He was full of faith. How does that happen? When a person is dominated and filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of faith. 
supernatural faith that propels you into a place where you can believe for something that you wouldn't normally be able to believe for. And when you're walking in the spirit and in his power and you confront the obstacles of life that require faith, in that moment, you are positioned for that gift of faith to operate. In fact, I would suggest the gift of faith operates with all the other gifts in the gifts of the Spirit. We're talking about gifts listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10. The thing that stops a lot of Christians is they waver in their faith. And when you waver in your faith, you forfeit some of what God would do. Now listen, God is gracious and sometimes it's other people's faith that brings you through. And it certainly is never appropriate if you're praying for somebody and they don't get the answer, it's never appropriate for you to say to them to castigate them for what you believe is their lack of faith. I think you have to be very careful about that because honestly, when the paralytic was brought to Jesus, the Bible says this, when he, speaking of Jesus, saw their faith, not the paralytic's faith, but the faith of the people who brought him to Jesus. So listen, their faith resulted in the healing of the paralytic, and your faith can bring about the healing of somebody else regardless of the condition of their life spiritually. So let's not get in a habit of pointing fingers at people to make ourselves feel better. Every single one of us, filled with the Spirit, can operate in in great faith. But at, at whatever point that we're waffling in terms of believing God to do something is the point at which we limit our ability to receive. I mean, James 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So the context here is, God, I need wisdom. I need you to show me what to do. And then James adds this, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. So it's, uh, Lord, I believe you're going to show me what to do. Oh, God, what if you don't? I don't know what. Lord, I'm worried. I'm worried. You might not show me what to do. Lord, I believe you are going to show me. But, Lord, if you don't, what am I? Uh, Do you follow? You're back and forth, back and forth. James says, you should not think you'll receive anything from the Lord. You're a double-minded man, unstable in all you do. This is why we have to come to a place where we say, Lord, I, I, need, I need you to, to touch me with your power to take me where I can't go on my own. Jesus says something similar in Mark chapter 11. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Literally in the Greek, it's have the faith of God. In other words, all of us need the Lord to plant in our heart The faith, do we have a responsibility to do our part in saying, I believe, yes, and yet at the same time, the closer we walk with the Lord, the more we hear his voice, and wherever his voice is, there is power to do what his voice commands. There's power to do what his voice directs. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. 
Then he says, okay, let me sum it up in a lesson for you. I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. Stephen was full of faith. Number three, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6, verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, dominated by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, governed by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, driven by the Spirit. All these things would be true of what it means. He's under the control. He's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leading him, the Holy Spirit guiding him, the Holy Spirit speaking through him, the Holy Spirit directing his thoughts. Which means that not only was the Spirit guiding what he did, but was guiding what he said. Acts chapter 6, verse 9, he's in an argument. We're going to look at the group he's with. He's debating because he's doing all these signs and wonders. It's upsetting some people. They begin to debate with him. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom. Where did he get his wisdom? He's full of wisdom. Where does it come from? The Spirit of God. You know, notice it, it doesn't say they couldn't stand up against his education. They couldn't stand up against his degree in philosophy. They couldn't stand up against his degree in, in rhetoric. Or, or they couldn't stand up against his knowledge of whatever it is you want to put there. Listen, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're walking with him, he can give you a wisdom that is greater than the most educated minds in the world. I'm not against education, that's not what I'm saying. There's no glory in being ignorant. But at the same time, God does not want us to cower in front of people, especially who are unbelievers, and not have anything to say. And too many people are afraid. They're saying, well, I don't know what I'm going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the right time. He'll do that. It's what he does. It's what Jesus promised. When you're brought out, Jesus said, Luke 12, verse 11, before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. This, this is a man who is filled with the Spirit, and his words are prompted by the Spirit. They're empowered by the Spirit, and it certainly enables him to triumph in that debate. Number four, he's full of grace, full of grace. I love this, verse 8. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace... He's got grace. You say, what are we talking about here? Well, there's saving grace. There's sufficient grace. His grace is sufficient. But I think it's best to understand this as God's favor, God's hand resting upon him. And really, you can take grace and favor and, and virtually throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, interchange the words. Favor, you remember, is influence. When you have the favor of God on you, you have influence that you wouldn't normally have. Favor, you'll remember, is effectiveness. When you have the favor of God on you, there's an effectiveness about your life where things work for you that don't work for other people. Why? Because the hand of God is on you. It's as if the hand of God is a multiplier in terms of what happens in your life to, to move you forward in God's purposes to honestly prosper you. 
It's God's presence on your life. Favor is God's preferential treatment towards you. You say, does God have favorites? The eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the earth, seeking to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully devoted to him. He'll do that for anyone whose heart's devoted to him. Favor, excessive kindness, his loving kindness resting on you. Stephen was full of God's favor and all that the favor of God could mean in terms of giftings and graciousness. He's full of grace, but I want you to notice he's full of truth. It's not gracious and it's not loving and it's not kind if we don't tell people in love the truth. He's telling them the truth. Finally, number five, he's full of power. Full of power, Acts 6, 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's power, did great wonders. Uh, the word there again, we've talked about it. When you see that, almost always it's mega. Did mega wonders, massive wonders, unbelievable wonders. You say, what were they? We don't have any idea, but he did a lot of them. And miraculous signs among the people. It's this word did is in the imperfect tense, so it has the idea of continually doing mega wonders and miraculous signs. He's just constantly, it's just, it's just like it's just coming off of him all the time. And now his life is exemplified. That's why it says he's a man full of power because he's, his life proves it. It's a continual display of the power of God through him. And this man's not an apostle. Listen, I'm, I'm just suggesting to you there is more. I'm suggesting to you that God wants to use you right where you're at. He wants to use you and the same power that touched Stephen can touch you in the place where you work, in the neighborhood where you live, in the, in the places where you do business, in your home, in your life group, there's power. This is what this is saying. This is not just confining it to Stephen. It is saying this is a man who was chosen from among the people, and this is what was a part of his life, which means you, wherever you're at among the church, God could use you. Well, number two, he not only has a supernatural character, he has supernatural courage. And we'll move quickly through this, but verse nine. Opposition rose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen. Now, uh, Stephen, now let me just explain this first because it's very interesting, some of what you have happening here. The synagogue of the freedmen, and the word synagogue means gathering. So whenever you had a gathering of people together, it was called a synagogue. You had 10 families, it created a synagogue. 10 male leaders, it created a synagogue. Here you have what's known in all of these different countries. So if we're talking Cyrene and Alexandria, that's North Africa and Egypt. If you're talking Cilicia and Asia, that's Asia Minor. Paul is from Cilicia, the Apostle Paul. He is studying in Jerusalem under Gamaliel at this time. We're gonna find out that 
Paul is holding the coats of the people who kill Stephen. I'm suggesting to you that when opposition arose from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, that includes Paul before he's saved. It's interesting, the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, are Jews who at one time were Roman slaves. Pompey in, AD, in, in 63 BC, he invaded the land of Israel, took a bunch of Jewish people as slaves, and then subsequently many of their Roman owners freed them. And when you were freed, when you were a slave of a citizen of Rome and you were freed, you automatically became a Roman citizen. I'm suggesting to you that Paul's parents had been slaves, were freed, became Roman citizens, which is why Paul will say in Acts 21, when he talks to the commander, he says, I'm a Roman citizen. And the commander says, I paid a lot for mine. And Paul says, I was born a citizen. But he's a part of this group of people who in their history were Roman slaves are now called the synagogue of the freedmen. They are arguing with Stephen. Here's Paul, one of the sharpest minds of his day to be sure, but the sharpness of his mind is no match for the Spirit of God on Stephen's mind. Listen, you gotta understand this. You can't be afraid to share Christ because in that moment, the sharpness of your mind under the anointing of the Holy Spirit is stronger, more powerful than the most articulate, well-educated person you'll ever meet. We don't need to be afraid. I mean, Acts 6.10, look at it but they could not stand up against his wisdom. Why? Because he's full of wisdom. The Spirit of God has given him wisdom and the Spirit by whom he spoke. Stephen won the debate. And when they couldn't stop him based on their own arguments, they resorted to slander. Verse 11, look at it. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. Verse 12, so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law and they seized Stephen. So they're, they're brutally, the idea in this word seized is they brutally, it's not like they just say, we're gonna have you arrested. No, they grab him, maybe punching him, maybe, I mean, we get an idea of it when Paul is arrested in Acts 21 and, and the crowd is mobbing him. Very similar with Stephen. And they brought him before the Sanhedrin. Remember, that's the Jewish ruling council, the 70 plus one, the Supreme Court of Israel. Verse 13, we read this, they produce false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law, for we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Now listen, he didn't say that. They're making this up. 
What he probably said to them was that the, what the law could never do in terms of giving them right standing with God and fulfilling their hope of relationship with God, Jesus Christ had done through his death on the cross. When Stephen said it, it made him angry. But he didn't back down. He didn't soften his message because he is a man of supernatural character and he's a man of supernatural courage. And that leads to number three, his supernatural countenance. Look at it, verse 15. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. You say, what do you mean? All of a the sudden, there is the glory of God emanating from Stephen's face. Interesting. They had said he was blaspheming God and Moses, remember? Who's the only other person in the Bible whose face literally glowed with the glory of God? He'd spent so much time in the presence of the Lord, his face glowed with the glory of the Lord. It was Moses. They're saying he blasphemed Moses so God makes him look like Moses. Listen, what's it, what's it saying to us? When you're walking with Jesus, you need more than your own power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, this is not, it's not an option. It's not something like if you, you, you know, maybe you, maybe you want it, maybe you don't, maybe you tried, you didn't get it, and so you just move on. No, if you, if you haven't gotten it yet, you need it, and you need to keep seeking it until you get it. Because there are some things that will not be evident in your life that are normative in the book of Acts. This is what you have to understand. They're normative. And the book, book of Acts is saying, this is how it looks in a church where God is moving. And the things that are true of Stephen, God wants to be true of every single one of us. Full of wisdom. Full of faith. Full of the Spirit. Full of the favor of the Lord, grace full of power. This is the things that should mark our life, that should be obvious to all. There's a person on whom the hand of God rests. There's a person who believes God in extraordinary ways. There's a person who when they pray, things happen. There's a person that when you talk to them, they have wisdom that, that is so wise. The call is for you and I not to just study Stephen. The call is for you and I to say, God, make me like him. Courage. Supernatural courage. To stand up and to say to people, here is the truth. And, and honestly, Many will receive. There's never been a day when people are more open to the gospel. Many will receive it. Some may not. But our job is not to decide in advance who might want it and who doesn't. Our job is to give the gospel because everybody deserves a chance to hear. Everybody. And you're the someone God wants to send to the somebody who needs to hear. 
And then there was a supernatural countenance. People could tell he'd been with Jesus because he had been. You know what's this saying to us? Spend enough time with Jesus that his presence, you know, you, you become like the people you hang out with, right? You know, they, they looked at G, uh, Peter and John and they, they took note they'd been with Jesus. They could tell they'd been with Jesus because they were acting like Jesus. They could see Jesus in them. And this is a call for you and I to spend enough time with the Lord that people sense the Lord when they're around us. And again, a part of that is walking in a purity that doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit and a power because you haven't quenched the Holy Spirit. Two legs you've got to stand on. Purity and power. God wants that for you. God wants to use you. Inside you, there is this sense, this desire, and you're thinking, is this really true that I could, God could use me like that? And the answer is a resounding yes. Yes. And I'm telling you, the heavens are going to break open. They are. And when they do, he's going to flood you with his presence. To that end, get ready. Get ready. Prepare your heart and your mind and your life.